you should go to them and tell them all of your favorite things to drink and say that your goal is to start drinking a little bit less sweet wines and could they give you maybe three options within whatever budget you 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 know tell them and then make them select it for you and kind of explore that way i find that to be helpful i like this you're like a wine doctor this is great i tell you <laughs> this is crazy. Welcome to Wise and Wine, a play on the phrase, rise and shine. Now look here, folks. I've had five jobs in the last two years, and that shit just ain't normal. Or is it? No, no, it's not. So I'm turning to diverse people who inspire me both professionally and personally with careers that didn't exactly start at point A and end at point B. We'll explore how their families, their cultures, and their communities impacted their career decisions, as well as the exact moment they decided to pursue their passions, even if that passion wasn't a direct path to a pension or a 401k. Hopefully, I'll come away knowing how they became the badass, the confident, the strategic people that I admire. And if I don't come out of this project a little wiser, well, at least I'll enjoy the boozy wine ride. say that I don't really know when my wine experience began. I think there was a point where I was partying and out of the bars and out of the clubs and had my Jack and Coke on and realized, oh, I'm a little too old for this. I need to kind of be more sophisticated with my alcohol choices. And it just felt like, well, wine is the natural next step. Something where I can know what the glass is and point out a pinky and sit versus having a gulp before the bar closed. And so I want to say my first experience potentially was at my cousin's Thanksgiving dinner and she had this beautiful spread and all these friends. And I think each person brought a different bottle of wine. And I found one that turned out to be from Trader Joe's. They call two buck Chuck, but I loved it. And I swigged the stuff all night long. And I don't recall how my night ended. I feel like I said something that ended with, yeah, bitch, to one of her friends and then passed out on the couch. Sorry, Kim. <laughs> and then for my bachelorette party, my bestie had organized a stretch hummer and we went to these really nice wineries in Temecula. And of course, I had my veil and my giant glowy ring and all I remember from that is that I got my heel stuck in a grate I tripped and broke a glass and then passed out <laughs> in the Hummer on my way home I feel like there's a pattern here with my wine drinking but um, I have I do enjoy the experience of going to wineries and tasting and you know whenever Scoop Steve and I can go to a winery we will <laughs> although one time he was like why do you do this? You wouldn't even drink wine. But I love the experience of wine. I love the experience of tasting and having a charcuterie board and being outside and just the ambiance of it is awesome. And so, but then I think about what somebody in wine is like, and they're not like me. You know, I'm always going to have a cracked cell phone. I'm always going to have food in my chest and spill something 
I, I buy wine because I see Lisa Vanderpump's picture on it or Snoop Dogg's or the label is cute and has a funny pun on it. <laughs> so it was awesome that my friend Lauren introduced me to her friend, Maya. And Maya works in the space of wineries. She, we talk about her career and it, it is windy, which is why she's here. We'd love to hear a windy career experience. Um, so everything from insurance to publishing to events and the reality and dream of working in the event space. She um, and our mutual friend and I worked in the events industry, although I found it to be soul crushing and only lasted about four years, but Maya lasted for about 12 until she was laid off by the pandemic. And so, you know, but I think she will tell you that, that being laid off was something she was begging for, like the soul crushing portion of the events industry. She was just ready to really follow her passion and her passion is for wine. And not only writing about wine, I think she'll talk about how there's a there's a gap in the wine industry for um, diversity and equity and inclusion. And she's really actively looking to fill that gap through her writing. And so you'll hear about how she's actively creating what she calls advocacy dinners and also actively through her writing, addressing the microaggressions in the wine industry so that people can avoid the emotional terrorism that is microaggressions. One of these days, she and her husband are going to open their own winery uh, with a charitable arm that, and making the wine industry, and making people who feel like they couldn't be a part of the wine industry be part of it. She's really sweet. She's really inspiring. She's, I don't know. She's just somebody that I want to get to know. And luckily our mutual friend is getting married before the end of the year. So I'll get to meet her in person. So until then, I hope you enjoy meeting Maya Johnson Dunn. Hi, Maya. Welcome to Wise and Wine. What are you drinking today? Hi, Jen. I am drinking uh, coffee, seltzer, and water. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like there's a story behind that. Like, is there a process? Do you sip one what? and then the next? Or do you finish one and then you have the others? Um, well, to be honest, it's because my husband and I were up until four in the morning last night just talking and having a good time. And so I'm, I'm trying to hydrate. <laughs> you guys are so cute. How long have you been married? Uh, we got married last September. Oh, you're newlyweds. Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, tell me about what you consider to be your career path. Like looking back at your career, how do you think your choices were influenced by your friends, your family, your culture, your community, all that good stuff. You know, when you see those um, like memes on Instagram and it's like what you think the path is and it's a nice <laughs> straight line and then it's like what the path really is and it's just scribbles. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. I think that's mine. <laughs> I think that is my career path because I was, I was thinking about the jobs that I've had over time. Um, they're really kind of crazy and all over the place. Um, but I also see how they all kind of led me to being able to do what I can do now. Um, so after college, I took a job literally like approving loans for people because my dad worked at the company. So <laughs> fully oh, wow. influenced by my dad. Um, and I was supposed to stay like just a short amount of time and I would have gotten a bonus if I stayed the full length and I was so miserable that I left. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and then I went to a publishing company and was equally as miserable there. Um, I was I thought I was doing like, you know, real editing of of books. And what I learned I was doing was actual just editing of like, um, you know, the scientific images within some textbooks. Uh, and mm. it quite what I had in mind. <laughs> yeah. um, found my way to, you know, CSN stores, which is now Wayfair. Um, and it's kind of wild to see all their commercials on TV. And that's where I sort of learned the digital side of things, um, thanks to them. And uh, my move to New York City, where I got into events and marketing, um, was driven by wanting to be closer to my friends from college. Um, so I don't know, I feel like I was just sort of chasing fun things and different things. And it sort of led me to this career that seems to somehow be working itself out. <laughs> and what was, and you, you don't have a degree in marketing, do you? What, what are your degrees in? I went to Connecticut College for English Lit and Urban Studies. I thought that I was going to be like writing research papers on how cities were developed. Um, oh. I, well, yeah. yeah, compared to what you do now, that sounds like a world of difference. What kind of changed your path? It is a world of difference. I mean, you know, I declared the English major because I've always loved reading. My mom is a librarian. My dad is a writer. Um, so I've always just loved reading and writing. Um, and then I added urban studies because I grew up in a suburb and I was really curious about how cities were made. <laughs> okay. And, and did you find out? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I find it fascinating in every city I moved to. I just, you know, that little background is, is still very interesting to me, especially as gentrification continues to be a thing. Oh, uh, yeah. I, and I live uh, in Austin and there's definitely, I mean, I don't know what came first, the gentrification or, you know, the migration of people from states, I'm going to call them wealthier states for lack of a better word, like California and Denver, where, you know, they could sell their house for probably less than they paid for it in that state, but then come here and pay full cash. And so we're seeing the downtown. I've been here since 2007 and the landscape of downtown Austin, just in the time that I've been here has completely changed. I'm sure. It's, yeah. Oh, it's, it's nuts. And I, and you know, I, I, I get frustrated because I look at the traffic. Have you ever been to Austin? I've never been to Austin. Okay. So come, but come with patience because <laughs> you can't really get around easily here. So I think Austin wants to stay Austin and refuses to adapt and adjust like the freeway highway system for the number of people that now live here. So mm -hmm. traffic is just constant. Uh, that sounds very similar to what it was like living in Boston. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. So what did you, I think with, with librarian and writer parents, I feel like I just imagine your house is just full of books and, you know, you guys are <laughs> sitting around talking about very deep subjects. So what did you envision <laughs> for yourself as a child? You know, we did sit around talking about some very deep subjects, but mostly we just had a lot of fun. <laughs> like, so yeah, my parents, my parents are a lot of fun. There were soul train lines in the kitchen, you know, during the holidays, <laughs> just having a good time. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, um, I think that when I was growing up, we, it was more about like, like I said before, happiness and joy. And I realized that as, as I got older, you know, maybe my perception of what I thought my parents wanted for me changed when I realized mm. that they were seeking happiness for, for me. Um, so 
you know, it feels, it feels good now. <laughs> oh, God. Well, it sounds like, you know, my, my parents, my, at least my father's very strong ideals of what success meant really had to do with like a pension and owning a home and, you know, occasionally going on vacation and having kids. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> did you have that kind of, I'm not going to say pressure, but did your parents have that kind of vision for you? Did your vision match theirs? Yeah, they definitely did. I think when I was younger too, you know, I mean, everything that we do when we're growing up is for that, you know, job with the 401k and the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence, anything, everything that we're always training for um, is that, especially when we, you know, send our kids off to college to get a degree in something very particular. Um, So I think that when I was younger, the hope was that I would find a good job with a great salary, meet a nice, you know, man or whoever it was that I wanted to marry. And it happened to be a man and (laughs) have a family and, and just live a good life. And then I think as I got older and moved off to Rochester and then the pandemic happened, um, perhaps that picture of what success and, and happiness looks like kind of, you know, evolved a little bit to be a little bit more open and fluid. Um, I think we all kind of had to make some sort of pivots during this lovely pandemic. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, now we'll get back to that, but I do want to start with the fact that we have a mutual friend that the three of us work in the events industry. And I think that it was not my path to be in the events industry. My path was supposed to be in higher education. Um, and then higher education went, Oh, you're going to be poor forever. So <laughs> I was like, well, let me try events that that's it. they have money there, but I, I wasn't prepared for what a soul crushing industry events oh was. So how I know that you've got a very interesting story Uh, that transitioned you from how you got from the events industry to what you're doing now. So tell us that story. Yeah. I mean, also like you, I did not expect to find myself in events. I think like (laughs) it was very much by accident that I even landed in that industry. And then the next thing I knew it was like 12 years had gone by. Um, And my my soul (laughs) was crushed the whole time. Mm, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But I also had the best time in the world. So I can't, you know, I can't deny that for some of these events that I was doing, they were pretty fun. Um, but most recently, I, I was working for um, a smaller agency um, out of Nashville, and um, they were kind enough to let me, and they had a, a smaller office in the Boston area, and they were kind enough to let me move to Rochester um, to when I wanted to be closer to live with my husband, my now husband. We were dating long distance at the time. Um, sorry, words were just so hard for me right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to blame the seltzer. Uh, yes, blame the seltzer. <laughs> um, and I sort of started falling in love with wine at the same time that I was realizing how out of love I was with events. Um, I don't think that I necessarily thought wine was going to be my future at the time um, that this was happening, but I just was kind of going with the flow and seeing what would happen. Um, when the pandemic came along and all of our live events turned into virtual ones, it became soul crushing uh, and debilitating mm-hmm. <laughs> in time. I know these virtual events. Um, I just feel like expectations were not realistic for what it meant to have a virtual event. Um, yeah. They're going to be the same as when you're in person, and people did not understand that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I feel very lucky and grateful that I was able to keep my job through last November. Um, and then I was laid off due to a lack of work. And also, it was something that I was begging for, <laughs> <laughs> begging for this moment to take like a break, a pause to catch my breath and figure out what was next. Um, And it was gifted to me with getting laid off. Um, And then with that, I just started to sort of lean in a little bit more to wine. 
I made myself a vision board for the year. And after I did that, I swear, it's like all these opportunities just started to come my way, maybe because I was a little bit more mindful about trying to work towards it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I think that this is a question that I had for you that I didn't send to you in advance, but how do you go from that point of here's something I love to, oh, this is now my career. So like, what are the steps for you that you took from passion to actually developing your company? Honestly, it's still a work in progress for me. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm in this very weird place where my um, hobby is now my career and I don't have a hobby <laughs> that I do for work. Right. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how all those things kind of ebb and flow together. But there was a moment for me where I had to like sort of flip the switch in my mind and say, this is real. Um, because when it's fun and it's a hobby, it's something you're doing on the side. It's really easy to say, I guess I'll do that another day. I'll do it later, push it off a week. And the next thing you know, a month has gone by and you haven't written anything about wine. Um, and suddenly I had to, you know, get very legit about sitting down in my seat. I've got a, a mentor in the industry and she says that writing is ass and chair. And it was like what I needed to hear to be able to sort of know, motivate myself to work on what used to be a passion and is now um, a career. Uh -huh. So talk to me about the beginning of your love of wine. Like how did it begin and how do you even, you know, I imagine with your background that a good amount of research went into it, you know, especially when you're talking about wine to both people who are experts at it and also people who are breaking into it. So how do you bridge that gap between keeping this thing very exclusive, but also making it something universal for, for a bunch of different people? I think my goal is to make it as universal as possible. Um, I think that, you know, the wine industry really went through a huge reckoning um, while we were all sitting at home watching um, between everything happening with, um, you know, the, the court of master Psalms and even just the, and, and frankly, the racism and also the sexism. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's just a lot of gatekeeping in wine because of who this language was developed by and for that, you know, I, I, I'm realizing is my goal to try and break down. I think at the end of the day, I want to make wine something that that people feel comfortable talking about. You know, I was, I was working a, um, an event for a local winery up here called Living Roots and I was pouring wine for this woman. And she asked her what she thought of it and she didn't want to tell me because she was too nervous to talk about it. And I just, I feel like that's so sad because wine is, everybody loves to drink wine, um, mm -hmm. but everybody feels comfortable talking about it. And to me, those two things do not align. Um, and I'm sorry, I forgot your, your initial question because I got so passionate about it. <laughs> well, how did your passion and, and love of wine, I'm going to throw in food because it seems now that what you're doing is, is blending the two. So how did your love of food and wine begin? Uh, well, that I blame on my husband. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, in events, you know, part of the fun part about what I was doing on the account management side was taking my clients out for, you know, nice dinners and picking out nice wines. And so I started to learn, you know, what the bottles were that would impress my clients to order. Mm. Um, I think that's where I started to get interested in wine. And then when I met my husband, um, like I mentioned before, we were dating long distance. I was in Boston and he was in Rochester. So the first time I went to visit him, he whisked me off to 
Cuca Lake um, at night. So I couldn't see how absolutely stunning the Finger Lakes were until I woke up the next morning, opened up the curtains to where we were staying and we were right on the lake. It was September, everything was sort of speckled with beautiful leaves. And we went wine tasting that trip um, to a few different places. And I just remember being just so enamored um, with the Finger Lakes and obviously with this man that I was falling in love with at the same time. So for me, wine and my love of wine is is very much also wrapped up in like falling in love with my husband. And it, it all is like a little bit too romantic to sometimes feel like a job. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And you, I love listening to you talk. You, you talk like a writer. I was reading a couple of your articles. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Like, I oh, love this. <laughs> Thank you so much. I just want to tell really beautiful stories and I want to make people feel. I want people to be like, I need to come see this place because um, it's really beautiful. So thank you. for So tell me about uh, Chasing Greatness. I love the story about how you and your husband came up with it. Um, so will you share the story of the name and what the organi organization does and how you select organizations that you support through it? Sure. So Chasing Greatness started initially as an Instagram account um, for me to sort of write about what I was learning about wine. Um, my husband and I, everywhere we travel, we always try to find the closest wine country and just sort of experience those wines. It's really a, just a great way to learn and also a fun way to pass the time. So we happened to be in New York City for a wedding and drove out to Long Island and I, we were in the car and I think I said like, we are always chasing grapes. And then my husband said, we're chasing greatness and <laughs> turned into uh, our Instagram account. Um, and I was writing mostly about Finger Lakes wines in the region um, for a number of years. And then I actually shut down that Instagram account on June 2nd, which was Blackout Tuesday on Instagram and, and other social media channels. Um, and I shut it down because that was the day when everybody was posting the Black Square in, in solidarity of Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, starting to really speak out and understand that they needed to use their platform for more than just pretty things. Mm -hmm. um, and I was a little bit disappointed, if I'm honest, about how quiet I felt the Finger Lakes region was. Um, I feel like I, like most of us, especially during this pandemic, am somebody who spends my money with real intention. Um, and I want to support small businesses, you know, with real intention behind that. So I felt like I wasn't getting the same support from, from them. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, I shut down that Instagram account and I wrote about it on my personal account. And that led to um, one sommelier who's now a really good friend of mine named Chris Grocky forwarding it to a bunch of restaurant and sommelier friends in the Rochester area, um, which lit a little bit of a fire under that post. I think it may have gone viral. Um, and it turned into Chris asking me if I would host a wine pairing dinner, um, pick the wines and then talk about some of the issues in the industry with diversity um, and inclusion. Um, so I hosted two dinners in 2020. Um, I picked um, two local charities that were um, sort of surrounding black health and wellness. One was Yoga for a Good Hood, which provides yoga at, you know, what you can pay for, for the local community here in Rochester. Mm -hmm. um, and the other was the Black Physicians Network, which um, is working to get more people of color in those white coats so that, you know, everybody feels comfortable talking to their doctors a bit more. Um, so it's it's been incredible to sort of see how this has evolved because I, I can tell you right now that when I started an Instagram account called Chasing Greatness, I did not think it was going to become these, you know, 
<laughs> advocacy dinners. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> no, I love that. So I think for those of us there that may not be familiar, and I'm, I was listening to an interview that you had done, and you talked about how sometimes or in your past, you've gone to wineries with your husband, who happens to be white, and people will talk to him and not to you. And so for people that don't have any concept of what issues there are with diversity within the wine industry, can you share what you've experienced and, and what needs to be addressed there? Yeah, you know, I think some of it is almost hard to describe because it really gets into microaggressions and really mm -hmm. small moments that, you know, later might feel like a throwaway to somebody, but for a person of color or, or whatever that marginalized person is experiencing it, it it's really quite debilitating in the moment. Um, so, you know, they could be a, as small as me just wanting to ask some questions about what was in my glass, you know, how much sweetness was in the wine or, um, you know, what grapes were used to make the blend. Any question I might have had, you know, asking that and having the person across from me in the bar just kind of smirk, you know, or not even answer it at all, or, you know, waiting at the bar to even be sort of seen and, and greeted and given a glass and a menu and feeling invisible. And then my walking up and them coming right over with two glasses and two menus. And yeah. it just doesn't feel good. Um, and those are unfortunately also the things that I think a lot of people of color and, and other marginalized people kind of suffer through and, and they don't tend to, to speak up about because the minute that you do, it turns into a really awful experience that's even more painful than the initial one. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of times you end up having to make the other person feel better about the fact that they've done this thing that they either were or were not aware of. And it's like, wait, why am I comforting you? You did this shitty thing to me. <laughs> it's totally, yeah, it's total emotional terrorism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, social media is, a, is powerful in raising awareness and demonstrating how important it is and how much representation matters. Um, so, you know, you had some success with your Chasing Greatness Instagram. Well, what are your successes and challenges in both building your business and building the awareness of diversity issues in the wine industry? And also, how do you challenge wineries and businesses that don't acknowledge diversity in their work? Hmm. Um, Sorry, that was 15 questions. <laughs> I'll probably ask you to, to repeat some of them. Okay, no problem. To get passionate and then forget what I was talking about. <laughs> um, social media is wildly wildly powerful, but I think it's a double-edged sword. You know, first of all, it doesn't replace in-person connection at all. And yet right. I feel like we all spend so much time just sort of doom scrolling, um, you know, into our demises. <laughs> I think the, the most, the thing I'm the most proud of is, is sort of building this personal brand. Um, it, and it seems like it's resonating with people. I think that I just try to put things in front of, 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 my friends and um, an audience online that will just get them sort of thinking a little bit broader about the conversation, um, it, whatever conversation that might be. And it's usually surrounded around um, diversity and, and equity within the wine world. Um, in terms of challenging these wineries nearby, I think that, you know, my first Instagram post where I, on my personal account, where I sort of detailed why I shut down Chasing Greatness seemed to, um, maybe not upset a lot of people, but just make them really uncomfortable. Um, and then I think 
it, it sort of, they weren't sure how to reach out to me after that. Um, so as I've started writing about wine, I'm starting to learn more about what people are, are doing. Um, and it's funny, I think that one Instagram post was sort of like sort of that initial shock to the system that really got this region moving. Um, and what I'm doing now to try and, and push it a little bit more with other wineries is actually just wrote an article for the New York Wine and Grape Foundation, um, which is a local or organization here that will hopefully be coming out soon about one winery and their journey towards you know diversity, equity, and inclusion, which includes a bunch of um, uh, talking about it on their own social media, but also creating a visitor code of conduct so that they're not only training their own staff, but also like putting together real, um, you know, guidelines for how they expect their customers to behave on site so that you're not even having those microaggressions and awful moments happening between, you know, um, people who are just there to drink wine. Um, and I think what they're trying to do is create this really sort of inclusive and welcoming experience, because I think a lot of what happens in, um, you know, the experience of these marginalized groups is you might go someplace and worry that you'll feel safe there and not know if you will be until you get there and realize that you aren't. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what this winery is doing is trying to really combat that by making sure everybody knows that they're welcome um, and with huge vocal power behind it. Not a lot of people do that. So I'm hoping that the article will really encourage other wineries who aren't really sure how to do this work um, to kind of step outside their comfort zone and figure it out because it's truly worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've heard you say before that, like, the George Floyd murder and just basically everything that happened last summer. And for some people, it was just, oh, this is new information to to them. And it's like, no, no, it's been like this always. It's just, thank God we've got video now. And now you can see what we've been talking about. So I feel like there's there's some level and I'm, of people who all of this is new to and now they're exhausted. So now they're like, Ugh, I, I don't want to hear about it anymore. And it's like, well, you're going to hear about it <laughs> because just because you're tired, if you're tired after a year, imagine how long we've been tired for right. generations. And yeah. when you're in, and, and, and I'm, all of that was to start the question of when you're reaching out to people when you're pitching articles like how do how do you find publications to write for they come into you or you go into them uh, a little bit of both um and so i feel lucky to even be able to say that some are coming to me um yeah just a little bit of both um and it's been really fun to explore you know different writing styles with different um uh, magazines and publications and I'm, I'm just really thankful for the opportunity <laughs> awesome and have you gotten any pushback do you think from anything that you've written or maybe you've submitted something and somebody went "Ooh, too far I can't imagine not you're not super controversial in your writing not yet I'm curious to see how the this article that'll come out soon about that one winery will land with with others um you know I wrote one thing and I called you know the Finger Lakes one winery was I said sorry words <laughs> I wrote this one thing about this winery bringing what I thought were all the best parts of Sonoma to our region and some people had something to say about you know the fact that we are not Sonoma and we shouldn't be ah. to it and okay fair you know everybody's got something to say on the internet <laughs> <laughs> say what <laughs> yeah are you hoping um to expand beyond Finger Lakes and Rochester, or what, what do you see for the future of your space in the industry? Yeah, I think 
You know, for my own knowledge and, and benefit of learning, I hope to explore beyond this region um, and start to learn more about the others. Because um, my I'm really am Finger Lakes uh, focused and heavy, um, but I do feel that for my craft being so close to the region is just invaluable. I don't think that I would have the same um, ability to to write these words about California and be so far away from it. Um, I really feel strongly about trying to go and, and, and see the places that I'm writing about and meet with the people that I'm, I'm writing about. And I just feel like it comes through so much um, better when it's, when it's real. Um, and as far, far as the future, I think that uh, my husband and I, we did a, quite a bit of pandemic dreaming. And <laughs> I think that we're hoping to open our own winery one day and we would like to do that in the Finger Lakes. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your business life and personal life are very intertwined. Like, how do you keep that work-life balance in your relationship? Like, where's the, okay, honey, we're doing this, or okay, honey, I need five minutes away from you. How does that work? You know, I'm the kind of person who will, like, just suffer in silence at the to make other people comfortable. It's just who I am. And I really had to learn because we're so intertwined in everything that we're doing, how to say to him, like, I can't talk about this right now. <laughs> um, finding that moment inside of myself felt really great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, communication has been key to our relationship, especially starting long distance. So I think we're really good at, at talking things out and then sometimes talking things out too much. Um, so finding that moment to take a break and, you know, just have a date night and not talk about business um, is really important. Um, so we do that a lot. I think we have a lot of game nights too, just to sort of clear our mind and not talk about anything that has to do with work. And that just helps a ton. <laughs> okay. But I think it sounds like we both grew up kind of in suburban what I will call predominantly white spaces and we both have white partners. And from what it, from what I read and listening to you, it sounds like your husband is beyond supportive of your activism in both your personal and professional life. How have other people in your life been supportive and maybe, Oh, you have to educate them, especially since last summer. Yeah. You know, I, I feel mostly very lucky um, that everybody has been so incredibly supportive. I think that, um, when I start to tell some of the stories of like things that I've been through and, and maybe the same happens to you, I think that my friends are, they just kind of realize how much closer to home it hits for them. Um, mm, yeah. You know, like, like you were saying before, you know, that sometimes it feels overwhelming and they're like, we don't want to talk about this anymore. But when they see how close it hits, they realize that they can't turn it off. Right. Um, and so that has been really nice to see from like my immediate and close surrounding, you know, circle. Um, I did have a few, you know, conversations with friends where sort of at the beginning of this whole thing, I think there was like a wave of, you know, these memes that told people to check on their black friends. And I feel like everybody who checked <laughs> their black friends was really just looking for stories to help, you know, them understand what racism was, which, you know, is not fair to the black friends. And <laughs> right. It's just right. So work to have to dig up all that emotional trauma and, and toil. Um, so that did happen in the beginning and I think it probably happened to everyone. Um, but since then, I'm, I'm really thankful that my immediate and close running circle is just very supportive and trying to do the best they can to, to be great allies. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, now that you've started your business, what are your hopes for it? And now that you've 
been into it a little bit, what do you, what's something you wish you had known when you got started? You know, um, I wish I had, um, <laughs> I wish I had known how much people actually want to help. Oh, okay. I think that, you know, sometimes we feel like we have to do these things on an island and that's really not the case. I think that um, people want to be mentors. They want to be helpful. They want to support you in any way that they can. And to ask for help is the best thing that you can do just to build those connections and community. Um, I also, I, I feel like when I was starting this, I was just so worried about figuring it out and that I would never be able to figure it out on my own. And so then, you know, imposter syndrome creeped in and she's a real bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I think being able to like power through and, and focus on the people around me would have been helpful to sort of elevate myself um, a little bit faster and further. Um, and then in terms of, of my dreams and hopes, I just, I hope that it continues to grow and evolve. And I hope that I'm able to really influence some real change in our region for you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion work um, through the eventually, hopefully, our, our winery. Um, I think that we've got dreams of chasing greatness, sort of evolving into being um, like the charitable arm of the winery that we create and really focusing on bringing people to the region to sort of learn and understand and experience things in person um, in every way that we can to sort of open up the wine industry to those who felt like they couldn't be a part of it before. Awesome. All right, so for people who, for whatever reason, I think some of it's probably a fear of, of looking dumb, like what are some tips you can give somebody who's new to wine, um, whether they're gonna go to a winery or whether they're going to their local store to buy something, what are some tips you can give people as they're entering this new wine journey on their own? Um, I would say the, the most important thing is to try not to be nervous about it. I think when you go into a wine store, it's so um, overwhelming and you don't know the proper things to say to explain to the person you know, what you're looking for. Um, or maybe you don't even talk to the person who's working there at all because you might feel nervous about it. But I think the best thing that you can do is sort of make that connection with your local um, you know, wine store employee or owner um, and, and just sort of talk in wine in whatever way it comes out for you. Because people always understand what you mean, even if it's just sort of, you know, random words strung together to try and describe something that tastes good to you. Um, I would say explore as much as you can. Um, and I know that also comes with uh, a budget involved, but <laughs> explore as much as you can. Because it'll help you understand what you like and you don't like. Um, and then I would say just keep an open mind, um, ask a lot of questions. Um, I think the best thing that you can do is just be a good consumer, um, to, especially to these smaller wineries that really need our support. Yes, and I think probably like like your husband, my partner has been like really dived into looking at black owned businesses for us. Like when we went to Oregon to visit his family and he's like, oh, look, babe, there's a, there's a black owned winery. We should go there. I'm like, how cute are you right now? So, <laughs> it, one, did you go to Abbey Creek by chance? Yes. Loved it. I am trying to go there. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Everything, you know, and it just, it just feels good to see people that look like you. And of course you feel like, yes, I'm supporting this business. And, uh, mm. and it, and it also helps that the wine is good too. So <laughs> We actually, we had a conference up here um, called Ethel Excursion um, over the last couple of days. And a bunch of um, wine industry folks came in and, and there were a lot of people of color too, which was, you know, a huge testament to the organizers to really 
have a diverse crowd. And, you know, I'm in upstate New York. I'm, I'm one of few in wine and in upstate New York that look like me. And it was incredible just to see people that looked familiar talking about the same thing that I'm super passionate about. So I totally hear you. It's just, it feels, it hits different. Yeah. Okay. So I'm already, my event planner hat is on. I'm already envisioning you planning like black girls wine weekend where we all go to Rochester and we work with events and we've got one of your big dinners and mm -hmm. it's just black women. And I think it would be amazing. It would be epic. It would be <laughs> uncool. <laughs> <laughs> black women plus Lauren. Lauren would be our, yes. <laughs> our well, plus one. <laughs> Lauren's welcome. <laughs> Uh, well, selfishly, can you explain to me, like I, this is my own selfish wine tip from an expert who I trust. So <laughs> I want to love non-sweet wines. I'm obsessed with like, there's an almond flavored champagne out of a winery that I used to go to in Temecula, California. They carry it in Texas, thank goodness. So I, I'm mm -hmm. stuck to that. But I, I tried shards. They give me headaches. So if I'm diving back into it, knowing this little bit about me, what would you recommend that I try next as I'm going to happy hour later today? <laughs> um, I might suggest trying um, wines from cooler climates um, oh. like New York or, you know, Oregon. Um, I think that maybe like the Chardonnay and the headaches, I'm thinking it might be like a alcohol level issue. Um, especially if you're drinking ones that might be coming mostly from California. Mm. Um, so it might be interesting to try something that's a little bit cooler climate because they'll be a little bit lower in alcohol. Um, and sometimes they tend to use a little bit less oak, which for me sometimes helps too. Um, in terms of liking fewer sweet wines, I would say just keep exploring um, and maybe try like, you know, um, if, if you're trying like a, semi-sweet wine, maybe try stepping the level of sweetness down a bit um, to like an off dry Riesling and see how you feel about like a little bit less sweetness um, and sort of evolve your palate that way. Sometimes I feel like um, you can almost think about wine like coffee. And I don't, I don't know how you take your coffee, but when I first started drinking coffee, I would put as much sugar and <laughs> possibly could to make it palatable. And now I drink my coffee black. Like I just, I can't imagine <laughs> loading it up with all the sugar. So I think it's almost like a sort of a slow weaning um, towards, you know, other options. Uh, that's okay. how I it. I feel like people that truly know and enjoy wine are like, oh, you, I don't do the Gortz demeanor. Uh, we are okay with the Rieslings. I think I like, is it Valdegay? Mm -hmm. I do like Valdegay, but I've, but I've only had the two buck Chuck from Trader Joe's. So I'm afraid to <laughs> try a more expensive version and realize I don't like it. Do you have a local wine shop that you like or feel strongly about? We do. There's a, um, a friend of mine actually works at a winery and I keep trying to figure out when we're going to go visit him, but we have one called um, Specs and Total Winer here. You should go to them and tell them all of your favorite things to drink and say that your goal is to start drinking a little bit less sweet wines. And could they give you maybe three options within whatever budget you, you, you know, tell them and then make them select it for you and kind of explore that way. I find that to be helpful. I like this. You're like a wine doctor. This is great. I'll tell you. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, Maya, it was a pleasure talking to you. Where can my four listeners 
um, find you if they want to learn about you, about your events, about diversity and wine? Where can they find you? Hey, for listeners, you can find me on Instagram. <laughs> this is Maya. Um, it's all spelled out. This is Maya, M-A-I-A-H. Um, I'm on Twitter at just Maya. I uh, got lucky there. <laughs> and then you can find me on my website, maya.com. Um, thank you so much, Jen, for having me. This was fun. Of course, I'm looking forward to meeting you at Lauren's wedding. Me too. All right. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.